0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network Broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
3: Are you having a little bit of a panic attack about your online security and if you're secure or not? And if not, what do you do? If that's you, this episode of Tech Bites is for you. Good morning, Heritage Radio Network listeners. Today is April 6, 2017, and it is a cloudy, cold, rainy day in Bushwick, Brooklyn, which might be sad, except for the fact that it's time for Tech bites, which makes us all really happy. I'm Jennifer Leitsy, your host, and once a week I sit in the backyard of Roberta's Pizza in a shipping container and talk to influencers and innovators at the intersection of food and technology. And today we are having a little bit of a news focused service piece. There's a lot of talk out there about online technology and personal security and your private data and information and what you can keep private and what people are going to sell to the highest bidder for money. So we decided to do a show about online security for your personal devices and your personal data. And in order to have a conversation, because this is an interview conversation show, we have on Kendra Pierre-Lewis from Popular Science Magazine, who is going to talk to us about online security and privacy. Hi, thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming out. But before we get into that, We will do like we always do at the beginning of each show, where we go around the shipping container and we talk about apps, apps we love, old favorites, new discoveries. And today we will hear from Vitor, who is playing the part of our engineer in lieu of David Tattashore. Hi. Hi, how are you?
4: I'm great. How are you?
3: Very good. How have you been?
4: Great. Um, I was expecting a sunny day today, but you know, like you said, it's Tech Bytes Day, so... It'll be fine.
3: Exactly. That's what we love. Enthusiasm from the participants. Although it's worth noting that the shipping container that Vitor sits in as mission control has no windows and no natural light and a sort of like single bomb shelter light bulb and the glow of the control board. So rain or shine, it's pretty much the same in there.
4: Right. And the pizza smell is always the same too.
3: Yeah, the pizza smell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it still make you hungry the pizza smell, or has it worn off a little bit?
4: It does. I mean, I like the pizza here.
3: Yeah, the pizza here is pretty good, it's,
4: and they change the menu often, so keeps it interesting.
3: Yeah, I'm. am I'm, I'm one of my favorites though is the famous original with extra pepperoni. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah, it's great. So, do you have an app for us today?
4: Yeah, actually, I was. Uh, I was just using Trello, uh, online, uh, the desktop version, but, um, well, I, I, guess like the web-based version, but actually the app on the phone is also, is also really nice because you can, it's a task manager. Yes. And, uh, for me it really helps to keep my day organized and, uh, I used it for bigger projects when I was uh, writing my master's thesis and, uh. Uh, it was, uh, really great to organize my thoughts and stuff and daily, just like even groceries, you know, it works for that too.
3: So you use it by yourself or do you use it with other people? My experience with Trello has been as a team project management. Right, kind of I've thing.
4: done both, but I also use it just for myself and it's, it, it works th- just as well. I feel like, you know, it's, um, I organize my to do columns and then like done and, doing kind of thing and then I I am my own uh, team
3: team of one yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay Trello very popular in the startup space in the tech startup people space they love that Trello team management thing that's a good one Kendra do you have an app that you like Kendra's interesting she's from popular science and she's a writer and she has a high tech no tech low tech yes-tech, no-tech kind of point of view, which we'll we'll talk more about? Um, I think I'm really boring. I'm,
5: I don't have any, like, just the standard apps, I guess. A lot of news apps. What's your favorite one that you use the most every day? Um, Chrome? <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, seriously, probably the Guardian um, app, okay. if I'm talking from a news perspective. Mm-hmm. It's just really intuitive and easy.
3: And you like The Guardian specifically versus a Roundup news app or something like that? Yeah. uh, Yeah, definitely. So are they your favorite news outlet? No, but I just really like their app. Like, their app
5: is just really easy to read when you're reading on the web.
3: Okay. The Guardian. Or, like, on your phone, yeah. My app this week is the Merriam-Webster Dictionary app. Which, uh, you know, it's important to know what words mean. And if you don't know what a word means... It's really helpful to be able to go to the dictionary and look it up. It's free. It's available for Android and for iPhone. You can um, pay $2 and get a version without ads. So it might be nice to support the dictionary because it's been around for over 150 years. And it's important to have words and know what they mean. They also have a lot of games, word games, and they also have the word of the day, which is very popular. Today, for April 6th, the word of the day is cloying, which is described as, and now my phone just went to sleep at exactly this moment, cloying, adjective, disgusting or distasteful by reason of excess, also excessively sweet or sentimental. There we go. Merriam-Webster dictionary. Because if you don't know what a word means, you should look it up. And as a writer and a reader, I often look up words to see how they are spelled sometimes because I'm a terrible speller. And when I read books or the newspaper, sometimes I do encounter a word I do not know. And I always look it up. Have you been following them on Twitter?
5: Uh, no, I didn't know they were on Twitter. They're on Twitter and okay. their, their game is on point. Um, They've been slowly trolling this administration. Yes,
3: yes, yes. <laughs> Actually, I knew that they were on Twitter because that's sort of how this whole thing sort of surfaced and bubbled up. I knew that. Okay, so we're following them right now. We're going to look for Merriam-Webster. Let's see. Merriam-Webster. Search. <laughs>
5: they definitely like... Let you know that a dictionary can be sassy.
3: Yes. Well, it's all about the words. Okay, here, there. And for those of you who might want to spell Miriam like the woman's name, it is in fact spelled M-E-R-R-I-A-M hyphen W-E-B-S-T-E-R. Miriam Webster. Of course, there's no hyphen on the Twitter handle. So there we go. Word of the day. Kind of nice, fun, timely. And on to other timely things. Um, In March last month, Congress overturned some rules that were about to go into effect and hadn't gone into effect about what broadband providers can do with people's um, online activity data. And that kind of bubbled up into the news, and that created a little bit of a furor in the public as to what's my online data about, what's out there, who owns it, who's selling it, and people became very concerned about it and then we saw a, a uptick in articles about online security, data security, personal security, personal data privacy, all those kinds of things. So, we thought it would be good to do a little bit of a public service show uh, and discuss online security. I think the most important thing and a, a and a good starting point that Kendra and I talked about earlier this week when we were sort of discussing how the show would go is the laws that came into that were reversed in congress had not actually gone into effect yet they were slated to go into effect earlier this year so having overturned them doesn't really impact anything because nothing started right and while it's terrible to think about somebody selling your information for their benefit and not yours it's a good moment to stop and take a look and see if you actually have any privacy or security out there online anyway because the reality is the current state of affairs with or without this congressional activity is that you kind of don't have a lot of privacy or security online right
5: yeah that's sort of the big takeaway i think um I think it got a lot of attention because um, a lot of people maybe don't necessarily trust the current administration. And so people are paying closer attention to issues that maybe they should have been paying closer attention to sooner. And in general, um, yes, exactly as you said, uh, most broadband services are actually already selling people's data. Most companies actually have an opt-out clause, but they don't it's an opt-out, not an opt-in. So you have to be aware of the fact that they're selling your data in order for you to opt out of the fact that they're selling your data. And um, I actually wrote down. So, like, in terms of what they're selling, they're,
3: they can sell. And it's both broadband and cell phone, right? So, so let's define what broadband and cell phone mean, okay. for starters, right out of the gate. Sorry. Because, there are, you know, this is one of those things where we use words a lot of time. Um, we see the advertisements on TV, But we don't necessarily know what we're talking about, because a lot of these words are things that have come into existence really only relatively recently. So define broadband.
5: Okay, so broadband is basically if you have cable internet or if you have um, like Fios or if you have what's called, um, I'm doing air quotes, high speed internet, then you have broadband. It's basically internet that's kind of always on, not dial up. Um, Even satellite could, could be considered broadband. And then internet, um, like mobile internet is basically, um, if you have a smartphone, you have a data package. So that data is mobile internet, 4G, 3G, you see the bars on your phone. That's that's what, that's um,
3: mobile internet. And it's basically two differentiations on how it's being sold to you by the provider. Right. Because and they're, in essence, the same thing.
5: They're, well... They're also they're div- given to you also differently, right? So if you're talking cable, r- most broadband is usually still delivered unless you have satellite in that sort of a separate category. It's delivered to you by a physical cable, whereas if you're talking about your cell phone, it's coming to you through like satellites. Um, and also the providers can be different. So Time Warner is a very common or spectrum now, if you live in New York City, they're huge, and, uh, and Comcast are huge internet providers for landlines, if you or for broadband, but they don't do cell service. So the one company that sort of does the overlap, and at and I think, does a little bit of both, and Verizon definitely does, but they're technically separate companies now.
3: So it's the way you get your internet and your connectivity and your Wi-Fi. Right. So you pay people to get online. Right. And when you... Go online. Once you're online, they know who you are Mm -hmm. because you signed up and have to pay for it. (laughs) So they have some sort of billing address, money, financial information, possibly phone information, all that kind of good stuff that you need when you're setting it up, maybe a driver's license. Sure. state ID. They
5: have all of your information, but what most companies say they're selling is anonymous data, so they sell their they say that they're selling it in these sort of big buckets, usually based around um like an I like an I like think of it like a block. They they're selling these blocks of data and they're selling them in tranches. But what a lot of um data scientists have been able to figure out is that even you can, it's very easy to take anonymous data
3: and make it de-anonymize it is what what they call it, but make it pinpoint to you. Um, So anonymous data means people are interested in knowing how many women live in Bushwick, Brooklyn, who are on the Internet and how old they may be and if they work or don't work or went to college or not to college or, you know, all of those sort of general demographic ideas
5: and and
3: descriptors, but without your name or without anything identifying it specifically to you.
5: Right. So they're not interested in what Kendra buys. They're interested in what women like Kendra buy. So they may lump it up into, like, women like Kendra, or they may may lump it into, like, New Yorkers do this. And so the idea is that, like, the information is so – it's so much information, and it's aggregated in such a way that you can draw trends, but you can't know that it's exactly who that data specifically is in theory. It's not true. because
3: that data is coming through a very specific portal – with very specific information about each individual, sometimes it's hard to completely keep it anonymous. And if people are looking, they can connect the dots and figure out who's who.
5: Right. Um, Somebody did, um, I think it was like an MIT researcher basically figured out that you can, um, I'm going to ruin the data. I'm going to ruin it. But it was like 80 something percent of people can be identified by like three points of information.
3: What are the three points?
5: Uh, Your zip code. Um, I don't know if I have it. I can't remember. I'm sorry. But yeah, it's three, um, yeah, I don't have it. But it's three points of information. And it's really simple. Like, it's actually come up in a different context. It's come up, right now the House Science Committee is pushing for what they call a secret science bill. And they're saying that unless people disclose data in a way that's um, replicable, um, that the the e p a and the government can't make decisions based on these data, but oftentimes the data has is really anonymized, so they strip out a lot of personal information um because if you if somebody's had cancer and they live in a small town and he's you know sixty five year old white man in Iowa city who's had a very bizarre form of cancer, it's going to be very simple to identify who that person is, so they had to strip out a lot of that data um and so yeah, so it's very easy to sort of tie it back to find to to, re-anonymize, to de-anonymize that data.
3: So people, what people need to uh, take a moment, a pause, and think about is not so much the new things coming down the pike. Of course, you, you want to be attentive to what's happening in the world and, and what your government and local and national politicians are deciding are good laws and, and ways forward. What Kendra said prior, that there is an opt-out, but not an opt-in. Currently today, if you're a regular person alive in the world and you have a smartphone and you have internet, there is a huge amount of data about you that's already circulating in the world that companies are already tracking, selling, and using for their own commercial gain, not yours. Right. So... Um, apps, advertising, social media, um, anything that is a free service or a free app, the company that's giving you that service, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Foursquare, Merriam-Webster Dictionary probably <laughs> also, all the free apps, they're giving it to you for free, but rest assured they are making money, and the way they make money is because they have data About all of their users. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to sort of start from the beginning and walk through some very easy steps to think about or be aware of as to how you can do your best to protect some of your privacy online. Um, Although in this day and age, it's really kind of only sort of protecting some of it, maybe. (laughs) Stay with us. We'll be back. (laughs) you <laughs>
1: Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cooking machine. But what better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to six. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org.
3: Well, if you've just joined us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about food and tech. And today we are trying to do a little bit of a public service show and talk about personal internet security and privacy, because there's a lot of panic in the disco right now happening around that. And um, I think one of the important things, and this is an important moment and a good opportunity for everyone to take a deep breath, realize that laws passed in Congress today are not going to go into effect for a long time. And old laws that were passed a while ago hadn't yet gone into effect. So timing is important. The other thing is, you probably gave away a lot of your privacy already. And you're probably being tracked and sold as a little piece of digital data chattel right now. um, Because that's the way digital commerce works. So we're going to sort of back up and, and talk about as you walk through setting up your different phones and accounts and things like that, and then end up with a discussion around what the, you know, what, what things are that you can do to secure your privacy, because right now, if you're online, your privacy is probably already wide open. So you can maybe put up a fence and a perimeter and try and corral some of it. But, you know, data, once it's out there, it's really hard to get it back. And then lock it up, right? Right. Um, They say the
5: internet is forever, right? That's what they say. So, yeah. um, So the three points of data that can pretty much track you throughout are your date of birth, your sex, and your zip code. Um, It's pretty hard to hide your sex. (laughs) So that's not one you can conceal, but you can choose whom to give your birth date to. Like most websites like Facebook and Twitter and all of these websites require that you give your birth date. But they don't actually need your birth date. So you can lie and um, you can just make one up. Why do they want your birth date? Originally, I actually, pro- now it's for marketing reasons because it helps you, them figure out what demographic. demographic data. Mm-hmm. Originally, the, the rule was so that you could, like a lot of sites require that you be at least 13. Um, so yeah, you can, but they don't need to know your actual birth date. It's fine to give them a different date. I tried to be consistent. Um, so then, I don't have to remember a bunch of fake birth dates.
3: but um, <laughs> I try to lie consistently. So you get a phone and you purchase it, mm-hmm. and you purchase your internet and your Wi-Fi or broadband provider. And basically, at that moment, you you are no longer private, right? But you you register. You have an IP address on your different devices. You have your name attached to different accounts and different services, and you have a you have a couple different companies already that have your data
5: um, I, th- I think you actually need to take a step back um, you're born and you're sort of no longer private right um, because you exist in a computer database like your social security number, your, your birth certificate Like we're all computerized now so you can make a choice to sort of never exist, never go online I mean it would be really difficult but you can make a choice to never go online and never exist in the world but your your entity, your existence is still in a lot of computer systems so ultimately, when we're thinking about privacy, it's really a question of what information do you not want disseminated? That's sort of what you're trying to protect. There's the information you don't want disseminated, and then there's also the broader question of like nefarious actors, so like trying to make sure that people can't hack your computer or can't hack your credit card information. and so so generally, when you talk to security experts, that's the very first question they're they're asking you is who are you trying to protect yourself from?
3: Okay, so we're coming out of the gate trackable. (laughs) (laughs) And people are tracking us, the government. Um, That's a very interesting point, you know, and it takes me back to now it's tax season. And uh, we're actually going to do a show on on taxes next week uh, with the guys from Shoebox. So free tax advice, everybody, a week (laughs) from today. And I have my um, social security contributions history, right, that you get, which shows every year that you put money into social security. And the first one that I have is from when I was, I don't know, three or four years old when I did, um, like, carnation instant baby milk modeling or something like that. Adorable, (laughs) right? Adorable. So cute. Baby tech bites, (laughs) baby model. Um, And it was, like, some, you know, small contribution, but there it was. So... That's another very good point to make. You have information about yourself. You're in the world. The government knows who you are and is tracking you. As you make transactions in terms of driver's licenses, registering to vote, pieces of identification, a passport, you are in that database. And as you start to purchase things, then you also become an entity that people are paying attention to, whether it's purchasing um, a coffee Mm -hmm. at a coffee shop, whether it's buying something online, whether it's a plane ticket, internet service. Right. So you have all those things. And I don't think people even really think about those things as being, we, we almost think of all of those transactions as being automatically private.
5: Right. And they're, I mean, they're not, right? I mean, especially your airplane ticket, right? Um, they know your date of birth. They know your name. They know all of these things because you need to, you know, you can't get on an airplane really without ID. So... Obviously, like that's one area where you like can't lie (laughs) or I don't recommend it anyway. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so those are sort of the base level transactions where, where your identity is known. And so there are ways of opting out. Like if you don't use a credit card and you use cash, it's much harder to know that,
3: you know, you bought that item. So cash, not credit cards. And then going through the day with our phones... Let's talk about all these different apps. Yeah. How, so many, how many people read all the terms and conditions when they sign up for something? Nobody. Nobody reads Does them. Does anybody They're, read those? No.
5: <laughs> They're in very fine print. Usually
3: what happens... Pages and, pages, pages, and pages, pages and pages. Pages of
5: tiny print. Usually what ends up happening is something goes wrong. Somebody puts something in that's a little bit onerous, and, and some, the one or two people that actually read the terms and conditions... Um, rings a bell and says, hey, you want to pay attention to this? Um, I think that happened with Evernote. They had a a thing where they were like, we're going to read the things in your notes. And there was a huge outcry because a lot of people use Evernote as sort of a digital diary. And they're like, these are my deepest, most personal thoughts. And I'm of the opinion that um, you should pick and choose what you put on the cloud. So I wouldn't put my diary on the cloud because it's just too easy for other people to have
3: access to it. So if you're online and you have apps and you have a phone, mm-hmm. is it even worthwhile to be upset about your privacy and your security? Is it even worthwhile to start to make an effort and an attempt to secure your data? Is it, is it a lost cause already? Or is there a point where we can sort of backtrack to a digital beginning and go through everything and try and clean it up and secure it?
5: I think there's a middle ground. I think you can. I, I mean, I think most of us really enjoy the beauty of our cell phones, um, but we don't like the idea that we're being advertised to to such a degree that we're almost unable to ch- pick and choose the things that we want in life, um, and that we're sort of complicit or beholden to marketers who are sort of um, framing our financial or personal lives. And so, yeah, I do think that there's a level like. We nobody okay. We we hated advertisements when they were just on TV. I mean, you know, like but the, when they were put in between shows, I think people are okay with sort of generic advertising. I think the idea that things are being targeted to you precisely to to kind of override—I call it your monkey brain—to override sort of our basic impulses, so that we buy things that we don't really want or don't really need, or end up in debt um, because we're beholden to these
3: marketers. Is I think where the line is. So the, a lot of this. A lot of this has to do with just simply advertising and marketing, which is right. a f- just fascinating industry. And I work in advertising uh, every now and again as a creative director. And I've, um, you know, looked at marketing and things like that. And it's a, a fascinating business. It just kind of turns on itself and makes more money without really making other things, which is interesting. Um, So more marketing, more advertising, more buying stuff, that's not really terrible. I mean, it's maybe not really beneficial or altruistic or, you know, as beautiful as as art and music, but... Great. So, you know, so my cable provider's going to sell, you know, some soap company or some laundry detergent company some details about me that they probably already have or are probably easy enough to figure out because I'm online. Is that a bad thing? Um... I think it depends on your your
5: personal perspective. And I think if you're okay with it, then you probably will choose a different level of operational security than people who are really uncomfortable with it. But I think ultimately the question is the choice, right? Like, do we get to choose? And I think a lot of people, and right now, really, we don't get to choose. Or we're not, in part because we're not necessarily aware of it, and in part because um, the model with which a lot of products, like, you know, I use Gmail, I'm, you know, the model with which a lot of products have launched is with this, you don't pay, we get this thing for free. And now we have to find a way to monetize it. And so it's sort of buried in the fine print.
3: I think one of the things that people get most upset about is that they're unwittingly Mm -hmm. being sold between companies without realizing it and without getting a piece of that. And it's sort of the thing that you get is the free... Right. the free social media or the free app or the free thing. But large companies are sort of buying and selling and trading people's data like, you know, Pokemon cards. That's true. There's
5: one other thing that I think we, we should also talk about. There's also the fact that companies haven't necessarily shown themselves to be um, the best guardians or the best stewards of our data. Um, I mean, I feel like almost everyone who's ever has has gotten an email from a company saying our data has been breached and your credit card com- your credit card number has been compromised or um
3: um like uh, like Verizon just had that big right. that big uh, piece in the news about their app Flash, which was a super cookie, which people were were basically calling spyware. Yeah, and then there is also the fact that sometimes
5: advertising on websites can hide um, like viruses and malware within them, and so that's one way people get served bad um, like viruses and and things. And then um, there was another point, and I've I've lost it. <laughs> it's that time of day, but um, so I, that's a good segue though into oh, I remember the other issue is that um. A lot of – we grew up in a society where all of this information was super public, Um, and that was great because – it was great because we were a public society, and so this information was very public, but it was also sort of hard to get. So if I wanted to find out information about the building that you lived in, I would have to go to the Department of Buildings, I would have to sign in, I would have to show ID to get, like – property values on your home. Now, I can do that in New York City by just by going to the Department of Buildings website. I can tell who owns it. I don't even need to know who you are. I can look at a property, see who owns it, find out a ton of information about that person, um, to the point that can be somewhat dangerous if I really wanted to target someone. Um, and that's we've seen that happen sort of with GamerGate. A lot of the information that these people were using to target individuals um sometimes even journalists were all information that was somewhat publicly aggregated and pretty easy if you know what you're doing to access and that's really dangerous and then there's also the issue with your cell phones where oftentimes pictures on your cell phone are geotagged and so um this happened a couple a few years back but like the guy from Mythbusters took a picture of um, like his daughter or his home and he put it online, and somebody downloaded the picture and there's software where you can tell exactly the GPS coordinates where the picture was taken and they showed up at his house so there's <laughs> this other element where like um, the the default for public the default the the blurring of the line between private and public um, has made it some uh, uh, like a physical security risk for some people
3: I really don't understand people who have who you know post the photos of i'm on the airplane right now and i'm leaving and i had just previously posted a photo from my house which is now empty and i mean things like that just i mean maybe i've watched too much law and order in my day i mean that's
5: i mean it's not quite that extreme but that's what happened to kim kardashian like they knew what she had in order to steal it because she posted it on instagram right so, I mean, they're, I mean,
3: she's extremely And they knew she pro- was at home and, she knew, and they yeah. knew her bodyguard was at the club with her sisters and all of that. Right. So let's take the next few minutes, because um, we've talked about sort of a little bit of the state of the union, I think, of, of security. And, and it's good for people before, you know, I think, you know, having a, a moment in the news or in life where you say, wow, what's happening? And it makes you stop and take a look at what your internet and digital situation is, is always great. Mm -hmm. Let's walk through some of the different things that people can do and be aware of. And I think the first thing that you do is go to all your devices, kind of clean up any crap that's on them and update your software, update your software, your operating platforms, your operating systems. Um, You know, Apple, you know, tries to, you know, fix security issues with each update um, tries to fix different things. So update all of that, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe stop and take a look and read the fine print and see what you're opting in and opting out of. Yeah.
5: And get rid of the
3: apps that you don't use (laughs) and get rid of the apps that you don't use that you don't. Now, do you just delete them off your phone or do you need to go back to the original app and delete your account? Because there's also a vast difference between deleting it off your home screen and having an account that's still live and open, because as we said earlier, the internet lives forever, and so do apps.
5: Right. So it depends on the app. Obviously, some apps are just local. Um, you know, like it just might be a funny, like an emoji app or something. So those you can probably just get away with, like you don't have an account, so you can just delete them from your phone. Other ones, you're right. You do have to go to the service and say, I would
3: like for you to delete my account. And then going through things, Twitter... Going through Facebook, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, and pick and choose, like, you know,
5: I'm on Twitter. I feel like every journalist is on Twitter. Um, but, like, pick and choose sort of what platforms you're going to use. Like, I have an Instagram account for, um, because Popsi has an Instagram account, but I don't post anything to Instagram. Um so like because that's just not I don't feel the need for people to see my life in that way. So like really pick and choose sort of what you put out there. And then other basic security things, if you have a Windows like computer, um decentsecurity.com has a really cool tutorial that walks you through how to like sort of lock down your computer and it has I don't want to get too nerdy in terms, but like it's very thorough and it's very just really step by step. Um Encrypt your devices. So iPhones come encrypted by default, but droids do not. Android phones do not. Um, so encrypt your phone. Um, use. Um, you want to sort of limit how much um, information can go back and forth. So, like Signal um, is an is a messaging app that. Um, Apparently, only pedophiles and criminals use, according to, um, I believe, our vice president. But <laughs> for the rest of us, um, yeah, Signal is a great tool. Um, it encrypts it from end to end. A lot of security experts recommend it. The problem with Signal is that it only encrypts it end to end if you and the person you're communicating with also has Signal. Um, so WhatsApp is sort of a good intermediary because it does you encryption. It, there's something called metadata, um, which is data about your data. Um, That WhatsApp holds, that Signal doesn't really. So that makes WhatsApp not as great a Signal in that regard, but it's still pretty decent. And what makes WhatsApp better is so many more people have it that you're more likely to be able to communicate over it.
3: So encryption. And going along with the encryption, there's a lot of conversations about um, VPNs and... Uh, encryption programs like Tor for masking your online identity. So a VPN is a virtual private network. And we talked about that in some of the app segments on a couple of the recent shows. And basically what that does is, um, you know, each, each electronic device that you own, computer, tablet, phone, has a specific identification number your IP address right. and when you go online whether it's through Wi-Fi or broadband you know Jennifer's Apple you know Jennifer's iPhone has an address and that address sort of goes along and that's how people follow you so what a, what a VPN does is it sends that IP Sort of through like a slush fund. It's almost like money laundering. It goes in through like a slush fund. It comes out the other side, and it's not following you anymore because as soon as you go into the, and as soon as you go into the network, it it can't track you. So, so, a lot of people are recommending that. And on the one hand, those kinds of things are good. The two things to consider are one, again, as soon as you pay someone for something online, mm-hmm. they have your information. So there are also varying degrees of. Privacy, opting in, opting out with a different VPN services. Yeah. But the other thing about a VPN is, depending on what you do in life, it can slow down your connection.
5: And um, so I've like the security industry seems somewhat um split on VPNs for a couple reasons. Yep. Um, the first is um you're essentially paying someone else to, um, like, mask your your information, but there's no guarantee that they're not going to sell your information. Exactly. So so that's one issue. The slowing down matters more when you're doing, like, high speed, like, doing large data uploads and downloads. But um, the other issue, uh, so um, I'm going to, one security expert recommends if you're going to go the VPN route to create your own. And um, if you Google... Uh, Gist, GitHub, Ken, with two Ns, white VPN. He sort of walks you through how to make your own VPN. And then um, if you're not going to build your own, then Zeynep Tufeki, who's a sociologist and a security expert, she recommends GetClock Clock, TunnelBear, the paid version, or Freedom VPN. And then um, pretty um, PIA um, VPN, um, which I will eventually remember what it stands for, they got suit or the, the FBI came to them asking them for a specific case to give them all of the information they had on someone, and they didn't have any. They said, we don't log data. And so people are recommending them just because there's been a court case and they said they didn't have the data. They are based in the United States, which some people don't always love, um, but they seem to at least be legit in terms of what they say. But there's no like overseeing vetting agency that says this VPN is good. So a lot of, um, like, fly-by-night VPN operations are popping up that are trying to sort of take advantage of people's fear.
3: So like anything else, it's good to have a recommendation. It's good to look at the history and longevity of a company um, and look for third-party sort of recommendations or vetting. Um, And again, you know, you need to... Start reading the fine print and seeing what you're opting into and see what you need to opt out of.
5: Yeah. And one of my, um, my favorite security experts on Twitter, um, uh, she recommends – or actually, I don't know the person's gender. I think it's a she. Um, they, their icon is Taylor Swift. So um, so it's hard to know. Um, but they recommend – there's a tool that you can install for your browser called HTTPS Everywhere. And it, um, so HTTPS is a secure encrypted way of accessing the web and some websites are HTTPS encrypted by default and some are not. And what this does is it makes all web pages HTTPS encrypted. And so that's sort of an easy sort of middle ground. So when you're on a website, people can't actually tell what you're doing on the website. So maybe, you know, maybe your, your service provider knows that you went to Google, but beyond that, they're not going to be
3: able to tell what you did on Google. So, uh, VPN or, you know, encrypted tracking, You know, movement, your movement on the internet is one thing that people want to protect. Right. The second thing is, as you're moving around the internet, again, I go back to ads and advertising, um, ad blockers Mm -hmm. are the next big thing that online security experts recommend because cookies, we all know, you go to a website, a big, you know, a banner pops up and says, hey, we use cookies. We're assuming you're okay with that. And cookies can live forever on mm-hmm. your computer and track you and track you where you're going. And again, that's just another cache of data and information about you. So ad blockers.
5: Right. So, um, I feel like as a journalist, I have to point out that, um, uh, a lot like Popsai has ads and we actually have an ad blocker blocker. Um, and a, so it is a, a number of Forbes does. Um, I think business insider does, um, a bunch of what wired I think does. And it's because this is how we make money. People yes. are not willing to pay for journalism anymore. Um, for the most part and so we need to find some way of well people don't
3: want to pay for anything but they're not realizing that by not paying you know a couple dollars for a magazine you're paying for it by having entities sell your data right
1: Um, so you are
3: paying for it you're just kind of blissfully ignorant yeah you're paying for it in a different way yeah
5: So I feel like I'm torn because on the one hand I'm very aware of the security risks that a lot of ad blockers or or a lot of um, that advertising plays um, on websites, but I'm also very aware of the financial realities of what it takes to run a publication and to do good journalism. And so that's really tricky, right? Like I can say from a security perspective, yeah, you should probably use an ad blocker. But as a journalist who enjoys eating, um, I say don't use ad blocker, please. (laughs) I like having a job.
3: So. I mean, that kind of segues into something which is not exactly related to this show, but you know, there was a book that came out a couple of years ago. I'll have to look it up and I'll post it somewhere on social media. It was the cost of cheap. Mm-hmm. And free and cheap is not really free and cheap, and it's very short-sighted. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about media, um, buy the newspaper, buy the magazine, contribute the money, because free is there there is no such thing as free. Same thing for fast clothes or cheap food. Cheap food is not cheap. It has a it has a big price tag on the back end somewhere. Whether it's the people, the land, the product, or your own health, your own health. So free and cheap don't really exist. They're kind of myths, and they're cloaking some sort of price that you're unaware of. Um, you know, one of the things that I think has made a, a certain segment of the population very motivated to support. You know, this current political situation has made a lot of people motivated to support things financially because we're at a very interesting cross section right now where people realize how critical money is to so many different things so supporting media i think is happening in a way that has not happened in the past mm-hmm. you know i have my digital subscriptions and buying magazine subscriptions and buying them for friends as gift and you know family and things like that because now we realize oh it was great getting all that free media, but you know that's not real. yeah,
5: and it takes a lot of work and time and energy to
3: to do even halfway decent journalism. Absolutely, absolutely. And create the app so that you can read it on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, the other thing about ad blockers is that a lot of things like streaming services won't run with them because they have a they have a window that pops up when you're watching them. But so, one thing
5: you you can do is um you can so I like I recommend Chrome. It's just um the way that they sandbox the way that they um I don't want to say sandbox, but the way that they sort of develop Chrome and the way the updates roll out. It's one of the Sturdier and just better browsers. But you can, um, and Chrome by default so is sort of not playing very well with Flash anymore. And Flash is one way that you can get um, like spyware and malware on your computer. And so now it, when Flash things load in Chrome, you have to click it saying, Yes, I actually do want to play this video, or Yes, I want, it doesn't sort of load it by default. And if you're using a browser other than Chrome, you can turn it off Flash. You can make it so that you have to permit it to run as opposed to it running on default. And that's one way of stopping things from maliciously loading on your computer. And it also is a way from stopping videos from auto-loading, which drives me crazy.
3: Me too. I hate it when you're, <laughs> when you're trying to read something and all of a sudden you hear some car ad and you're like, where is that coming from? And then you scroll up and it's like, oh, that video just started playing. <laughs> Got it. Okay. We are out of time. So we're gonna make a quick recap on how to try and be a little bit safer and a little more private going forward, although you know the you know the the ship is kind of sailed on total privacy. And uh, you know, you can try and rein it back in as best you can and, and be safe going forward. So go back to the beginning with all your devices, clean them up, clean up the crap that you have on there, clean up Clean up apps and things you don't use. Get rid of programs you don't use. Get rid of outdated programs you don't use. Update all your software. Go into your software and see what you are opting in and opting out of. Are you automatically geotagging everything that you do? Is your phone tracking you automatically because you have GPS on all the time? Start from the beginning. Take a look at all the settings. Maybe you're fine with it. Maybe you're not. But make a decision. You want to be... You know GPS tracked 24 hours a day or not. Turn it on or turn it off. Go through and go through all your apps and your social media accounts. Delete them from your phone if you're not using them. Delete them from your computer. And you know what? If you don't want to be on MySpace anymore, go delete your profile. <laughs> you know, everybody has a profile, a blog, half a half a, you know, account of some, you know, community that was started at some point in time that we've all abandoned. Get rid of them all because they're out there. They're living. They have your information. Clean all that up. Think about a VPN. Think about an ad blocker. Think about your browser. And encrypt. And encrypt. Think about your text messaging encryption iMessage is good. Signal is good. WhatsApp is good. I also like WhatsApp because it runs over Wi-Fi and it's free texting when I'm traveling abroad. Signal runs over Wi-Fi too. Yeah. So those are, they also have great benefits also. And then, you know, I think the other thing is there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of great nonprofit organizations and watchdogs and things like that, that are looking at these things. And these are the people who are actually reading every single line of the terms and conditions who are going to raise a flag. So things like the Ele- Electronic Frontier Foundation is a good one. You mentioned one earlier, Kendra. Um, decent security. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think she's actually I don't think they're actually nonprofit, but
5: they're super into personal security.
3: So taking a look at those things and recommendations, you know, Google things, take a look at how long a company has been in business. And just because you use a VPN group doesn't mean they're going to protect your data necessarily. So read that fine print also. And just be aware. And it's so easy because of convenience and things to get caught up in the ease of use. But sometimes it's good to stop and think. If you have one of those newfangled Alexa super home helper, personal assistant things, just be aware that that thing's listening to you all the time, and that's going somewhere. And think about convenience versus privacy. And if you like that, that's great. And if you don't, then make the choice. But I think what the current uh, laws and, you know, brouhaha that came up last month with this uh, Senate vote is people were not aware So being informed and making your personal choice is the best way to go. And the other thing is, if you're paying
5: for a service, you have more leverage. If you're saying, I'm paying for this and I want this and you need to stop doing this, it's a very different relationship than I'm getting this from free and you need to listen to me.
3: Yes, absolutely. Free. If it's free, it's not. You may not be paying them money out of your pocket, but you're paying for it somehow. So think about that also. I want to thank uh, Kendra Pierre-Louis f- for coming out from Popular Science Magazine. If you want to follow her, she's at Kendra Writes on Twitter, it's probably the best place to go. Um, she's less, en- less enthusiastic about Facebook and is only superficially on Instagram. If you're interested in following her writing, she is at Pop- S- Popular Science Magazine. That's popsci.com. Um, As a sidebar, she also has some really interesting work on environmental issues and has a book called Greenwashed, Why We Can't Buy Our Way to a Green Planet, which is not exactly tech bites, but a great topic. (laughs) Um, If you like this show, come back next week, Thursday at 11 a.m. We are going to be doing free tax advice with the guys from Shoebox. And that should be a good one. And if you really love the show, go to iTunes, subscribe to it, get it every week, download it, leave us a five-star review. And if you think it was amazing and can't live without it, radio isn't free, you know. It costs money to keep the lights on and keep the voices on the airwaves. So go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and, you know, send us what you spent on coffee today. We can make more radio. We're a nonprofit. Keep the voices on the air. I'm Jennifer Lee, and this is Tech Bites.